Hello, everyone. This is Caitlin. And this is Jessica. And this is Calling All Spirits. But we also have an extra guest today. Tonight, we are welcoming back Brandon Hodge, who is a collector, author, researcher, and entrepreneur. He was always fascinated by the bizarre world of tipping tables, seances, and ghost haunts. Brandon spent years researching spirit communication devices in the early history of the spiritualist movement. He added his first automatic writer to his shelves, a boxed EIH scientific planchette, and has since amassed the world's finest collection of writing planchettes. Brandon currently lives in Austin, Texas, and by day he runs his store Monkey See, Monkey Do and Big Top Candy Shop. And we're so happy you're back again on Calling All Spirits. Yes, thank you so much <laughs> for having me. Right where we left off, huh? Exactly. Yeah. We basically cut you off in February, and now you can continue the story. Was it February? <laughs> All right. Well, hey, at least it was this year. Huh? It, it, exactly. it was. It's I funny. Know. I, I, the, the first episode, we talked about doing like the planchette episode and then the Ouija episode, and I felt like we spent um, the planchette episode talking about Ouija, so now, you know, we'll this will be the Ouija episode, and we'll just spend it talking about planchette. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It, it all works. It's all on topic. Right. It's all <laughs> tied together, right? Exactly. I mean, if they didn't inter intermingle, then it wouldn't work. But because they do, it does. Yeah, right. <laughs> now, I thought we'd, if it's okay to start, because I know we we did a deep dive um, in our last interview with you, but we do have some new listeners. Could you just go ahead and uh, refresh their memories and give a little bit about yourself and your background and how you got into this? For right, those that absolutely. may not know. Yeah, so my name is Brandon Hodge. Um, my sort of public work in this domain, I, I use the moniker Mysterious Planchette, not personally, but just sort of the name for my archive. It's my website name, my various social media accounts is Mysterious Planchette. And um, that work sort of encompasses the history of spirit communication apparatus from its prehistory up to the modern day. Uh, so it encompasses far more than just Ouija boards or, or more generally known as talking boards. And excuse me, I got my start in this when I moved to Austin in the mid 90s. I got here in 1996. I was always a weird kid. I was interested in ghost stories and haunted houses and, and all that, that good stuff. And uh, when I got to Austin, I started working the magic counter of a gift shop here in Austin at Barton Creek Square Mall. And I uh, started performing magic tricks for, you know, on the, on particularly, you know, for, for, uh, for customers on the weekends and uh, got really good at that. And in that process began to, I got tired of card tricks pretty early on. And at the time I was getting my degree in history from the University of Texas. And I started to envision something a little bolder than just gotcha magic. And I started to explore sort of the redheaded stepchild of the magic community, which is bizarre magic. And I can't even remember how much I even talked about this in the last episode. So this might be new for old listeners too. And yeah. bizarre magic typically delves into storytelling themes that often have a macabre and occult nature. And so I started to put together, this was in probably 97, I started to put together a sort of haunted antiques show where um, I was telling stories that were inspired by the real life spiritualism history that I was researching uh, at the University of Texas at the time and sort of merging it with, with magic tricks. And, uh, and it was creepy stuff. Like I would tell the very real story of the Coon Spirit Room, which is where mm. our modern, we talked about this last episode, where the mm -hmm. modern conception of uh, of the dark seance is birthed in, in 1853. 
in this little wood cabin out in the woods of uh, Athens County, Ohio. And I would tell this very real story about how they started using spirit trumpets to communicate with the dead and that mm -hmm. very real history. And another real historical aspect of that was that Jonathan Coons would always begin the seances by playing his fiddle. And the spirits would begin to play along with all of these instruments that they had hanging and, and strewn about the room. And these instruments would begin in the dark to float above the audience members' heads and begin to play along. And so I would tell the story. And again, that's all real, verified, documented history. But I would actually remove this scarred old uh, you know, fiddle, this violin out of this case, and I would pass it around the room. And I mean, that was it. I'm telling the story and people are passing it. And mm -hmm. then uh, at the end of the story, you know, I kind of closed the story and I would close the case and set it back on this display. And remember, this is a magic show, right? But nothing's happened yet. I'm just telling a story. and Everyone's handled this thing. We put it back on its little... I had these little plant stands I had everything displayed on. And as uh -huh. we turned our attention to the next item, which might have been one of my talking boards, it might have been one of my planchettes, as we turned our attention to the next item from that wooden coffin-looking case that the violin was in, it would go... <laughs> and that was the trick. That was the whole trick. There was no gotcha. There was no, like, it was... It was so it was very much about atmosphere, establishing this very seance like atmosphere. And uh, while I retired that show by the turn of the century, I think by 2000, I was pretty retired from magic. My research continued. And that also, I acquired my very first uh, items, spiritualist items, uh, including the uh, EI Horseman planchette you mentioned uh, in the bio there as uh as props for this haunted antique show so they would be you know gimmicked in some way and have some effect the planchette was used <laughs> to uh have written a spirit written prediction uh that you know for that someone had made earlier in the program and stuff and so i gave up on the magic but the researching stuck around with me uh as well as the collecting and i just kept picking up pieces that I felt were interesting and uh, and just sort of kept that rolling right along. And it wasn't until the early 2010s, maybe the late you know, 2000s, early 2010s that I started to really meet other collectors and, and started to kind of go public. And in 2012, I debuted my website and a lot of my research thinking the whole time I was gonna meet some, you know, I always had this vision that I was going to meet some, you know, grizzled old, you know, East Coast guy in some small town outside of Boston with like a barn full of planchettes. <laughs> this guy was like going to just put me in my place. And it turns out, you know, I'm the I'm the weird old guy. It's it's. <laughs> turns out he's in Texas, not Massachusetts. That's right. Exactly. So here we are. Oh, I love it. No, thank you. It's fascinating. Oh my gosh, that would have been the cool. That would have been like my dream magic show to go to. Where you think? that's so yeah <laughs> i mean but, if oh, you want to bring it back for this halloween we oh my god we won't we will support yeah this. i performed it a few times and if you look real deep on the internet real uh -huh. real deep you can find some of my original materials from those days including yeah photographs of of me with some of the props and and some descriptions of that routine uh, of that program and famously i once performed it here in austin for camel cigarettes when they were doing they had a <laughs> they did a weird festival to promote their new flavored line of 
of cigarettes back uh-huh. in probably 99 and at it was at the red eyed fly here in austin uh, that old that old live music venue and they set uh-huh. up a little like fortune teller tent for me and i set up all the stuff inside and and performed there and yeah that was that was a oh my gosh that right, is so cool. group goal we're gonna figure out how to find all of this stuff I tapped into that camel cigarette money <laughs> <laughs> that might be that might have been the best paid gig i've ever had in all of this and that was you know in the 90s so i mean poison yeah. pays well who knew <laughs> well very cool well, i know last time we, we we did focus on the planchette and how it gets started and so I, we're, we're going to try to focus on the Ouija board tonight. Right, right. Yeah, um, the words try and focus are in that sentence for a reason. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but very true. But I, and I'm sure everybody out there knows what a Ouija board is, but just in case, can you kind of tell them a little bit more about it in case there's someone that's never heard of it? Yes. And, you know, we could kind of summarize what we went yeah. over last time too for, for those catching up. So sure. yes. The Ouija board uh, or the talking board, the generic term talking board, Ouija is a, uh, a registered trademark of Hasbro Inc., uh, which acquired it from Parker Brothers in the 60s, who acquired it from the family of William Fold and the Fold Manufacturing Company uh, in 1966. Uh, and the Ouija has a legacy uh, as a product, as that trademark uh, product stretching back to the 1890s. But it's legacy, and and for those who have are unfamiliar, it is. Uh, I'm going to get one in hand here. It is a. Um, uh, I, I know we don't have any visuals here, but you know it helps me. Uh, so it's typically a wooden board, about 18 by 20 inches, a wooden rectangular board, usually uh, on some some thin veneered ply for some of the older ones, uh, and it'll have a little logo in the middle. Usually it has a double arc alphabet, so it's got you know 13 letters on top, 13 letters on the bottom, and a, and a little smoothly flowing arc with a line of numbers one through zero. Um, one through nine plus zero uh, below it. It usually has some basic greetings and replies uh, and 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 uh, it's usually a goodbye at the bottom. Uh, usually on the upper left-hand side, it will have a yes, very important, uh, and a no on the other side. Uh, and the, probably the Ouija board that most uh, are familiar with is probably the Parker Brothers design from the 60s, which has sort of a smiling sun face uh, in in the left hand side above the the yes and sort of a more dour crescent moon and some stars uh, to the right excuse me and uh, in the bottom corners it has a sort of an, a woodcut looking engraving of a, of a woman with her hands on the on the planchette or the indicator uh, and uh, with a spirit sort of floating over her in each corner and uh, the board is used uh, if you are a believer. You believe that the spirits uh, in, in a form of sort of mild possession are actually influencing the movements of the <laughs> indicator, which is the planchette, more on that in a moment. Uh, and you'll lightly place your fingertips on the indicator uh, with a companion or alone, uh, and uh, it will begin to move at first imperceptibly, but then, uh, you know, uh, very smoothly in a way that most people feel they are not contributing movements. This is a mm-hmm. sensation that scientists term the ideomotor or the idiomotor response. And um, it can be very convincing, even for the skeptical, such as myself, um, <laughs> uh, to, to place your hands ever so slightly on on that and and watch it begin to move. And as it moves letter to letter, it spells out messages. 
This form of alphabetic communication stretches back to the birth of the spiritualist movement. Uh, and a very quick summary, and you know, you you can you're, you know, I'd invite listeners to go back and listen to the more detailed version in part one here. But Absolutely. it dates to the earliest days of the spiritualist movement in uh, 1848, when a family began to experience this strange poltergeist-like activity in their Hydesville, New York home. These manifested as knocks and raps on their floors and headboards and, uh, and tables, chairs, and walls. And they established communication with these strange spectral noises. And this family was the Fox family of Hydesville. And uh, the young daughters who were facilitating the, these communications as the go-betweens or mediums between the sounds and the living uh, were came to be known as the Fox sisters, Kate and Maggie. And this communication with these knocks and raps was sort of a binary code. You could ask it very simply. It's not quite the equation they used, but in our modern parlance, you could ask it once for yes or twice for no and get a knock one way or the other. You could do something called alphabet calling, which is literally calling out the alphabet to the ether, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, G. Okay, someone write down G, A, B, C, D, E, E. Okay, someone write down E. And uh, and in that way, you can spell out words, phrases, sentences, and novels, if you like, mm -hmm. uh, of which there are many. And from this very basic form of positive and negative, uh, affirmative and otherwise communications, as well as alphabet calling, all manner of ways to expedite that process uh, begin to be created. The first major one ties in with the discovery of the idiomotor response by about mm -hmm. in the in the 1850s, these rapping seances begin to take on new life as mediums become bolder, as the spirits, you might think, become bolder, as the tables and chairs begin to move in seances. And it's in probably 1851, 1852, that members of the Philadelphia Circle begin to communicate to other seance groups that if you just place your hands, your fingertips lightly on the tabletop, the table itself will begin to move in a strange and mysterious way in the same way that modern users are familiar with the strange movements of the planchette on the talking board. But this was a brand new experience and it took the medium out of the equation. Now you and your friends could try this fun sort of parlor trick, this DIY uh, form of, of a spiritual communion and you could ask the table questions. And uh, and it could knock once for yes or twice for no and literally bang on the floor. Uh, you could call out the alphabet. And the process is slow. It, it takes root over the course of 1852. But by 1853, this is a worldwide phenomenon that spreads from America into England uh, and, uh, well, actually into Germany initially, uh, and then uh, downward into France and takes the world by storm every, I mean, it's it's in all the newspapers. There's countless illustrations of what I call the summer of talking tables or tablets or knots, <laughs> where just everyone is experimenting. It was just the, the, the big new thing. The biggest thing since the news of rapping mediumship and the ability to communicate with the dead. 
And so that pairs this sort of alphabetic spelling communication with this tactile mechanical means. And 1853 marks the first year that we have this explosion of devices. Most of them are alphabetical. Many of them are these mechanical apparatus you would actually set on top of your table, usually with an alphabet and a clock-like dial with a little clock hand. As the table tipped back and forth, the dial would, uh, the clock hand would turn, point out letters on the dial, devices of this nature. But we're still about 35 years before the advent of the Ouija. And the one, the device that will come out the winner in these early alphabetic apparatus actually was not an alphabetic apparatus at all, but rather a basket, a basket with a pencil tied to it. These, uh, these French spiritualists first attempted to tie a pencil to a table leg. And you can imagine that probably didn't go over too well. They wanted to see if the moving table could write out messages. And then the spirits spectrally roll their eyes at these events. And and, um, and these are documented too. And wow. then they, they try a smaller table and this creates a brief sensation in France, uh, which is tables écrivantes, which is writing tables. And there are these fantastic comic illustrations lampooning this very brief configuration of the table turning, <laughs> where uh, it shows these tables with pencils on one, these little sort of three-legged little side tables, right? Not dining room mm -hmm. tables. But it shows spiritualists putting them to work. So there's an artist, and they're all relaxing. There's an artist <laughs> in a studio with his feet kicked up, and, and the table is producing art on canvases. And there's oh another God. guy that, like, it's writing in a book, and he's like, he's a mountain, <laughs> and he's taking it easy and, like, smoking his pipe while the table does all the work. <laughs> and, uh, and and what's, what, what's frustrating for me as a researcher is there's, like, a dozen illustrations of that. But the next evolution of it is the baskets at Cravance, which are the writing baskets. So they, mm -hmm. the spirits on the night of June 10th, 1853, are like, please give up the tables, attach a pencil <laughs> to a basket, and place your hands on the basket, and I will write for you. And that is the moment where the planchette is invented. Mm. Soon, uh, French cabinet makers begin making these heart-shaped boards with wheels and a, a pencil acting as the third wheel. So usually when you hear me refer to a planchette, I'm referring to the original, what we call automatic writing planchette. So rather than pointing out letters on a board, uh, these 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 planchettes uh, with their wheels, the pencil acting as a third wheel, you'd place your fingers on it, it would move mysteriously and actually write out messages from the dead. And uh, these predate talking boards by about 35 years. They will evolve into the Ouija board planchette, mm -hmm. um, but uh, they will have an American sort of surge in uh, after the Civil War in 1868. They will become the first commercial um, widely commercial craze for uh, for spirit. They won't be the first commercial spirit mm -hmm. apparatus, but it'll become the first uh, widespread craze here in America, where it, it sort of repeats that uh, that summer of talking tables. You know, they become mm -hmm. the must-have Christmas gift item. You know, they become the <laughs> entertainment of the season, and that's in 1868. And this cycle will repeat. There will be lots of other devices, which is why I try not to sort of hold 
Ouija in this vacuum, right? Because it, right. it ultimately ends up being just the next evolution, the next refinement that mm -hmm. repairs the often difficult to uh, to read scribbling of the automatic writing <laughs> right. with the original alphabetic spelling forms of spirit mm -hmm. communications. And uh, so, yeah, that will become a big craze, uh, you know, starting first in the 1880s and, and then we'll be, mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, which we'll talk about in detail tonight, uh, but then in 1890, <laughs> that will become a commercialized product that will sort of take the nation by storm and lead all the way up to me here tonight, so. <laughs> Wonderful. Oh my gosh, that was an amazing history. I wish I could just do that. Like you, that was incredible. <laughs> I think he's done it once or twice before is the yeah. key here. <laughs> and so how did we get to what we know as like the Ouija board and it ends up being a game and package? Like how, how does that all start developing? So it's not, uh, I differ from other researchers who are sort of public in this and that again, as I just said, it, it mm -hmm. doesn't, it's not invented in a bubble, right? right. It's just, I mean, there are, you know, I already mentioned in 1853, you already have these tabletop alphabetic apparatus. Right. So the idea of let's point to the letters to make this, you know, like let's speed this process up um, mm -hmm. is is well established just a few years in into the movement. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. five years after the Fox sisters get their start as a, you know, and, and make their splash, we already have people right. that are creating commercial communication apparatus. Mm -hmm. You have homemade stuff. And uh, and it's a rich and varied history. And you have, uh, you know, for, for the, the Ouija is just yet another form of apparatus mm -hmm. that, that predated not just the, the automatic writing planchette, but, you know, the Tuttle uh, psychograph is one. It's an alphabetic wow. spelling. It, to me, I look at something like a Tuttle psychograph and pause and let, let our listeners, uh, you know, pause us and, and Google <laughs> that real quick. It's T-U-T-T-L-E, psychograph. Um, which is probably the one I should actually spell, but it's long. We got to move on. Um, <laughs> but it's a self-contained unit. It's a little nine inch by nine inch square piece of really dense cardboard covered in paper with a, an alphabet ring and letters and phrases a, around its perimeter and a little ball bearing disc in the middle with a little with a little pointer on it. It's self-contained. There's no legs to lose. There and, and it just <laughs> very smoothly turns around and points to to letters and numbers and 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 messages. And you know that predates the the Ouija board right. by several years. And how that isn't why psychograph isn't the you know the spooky name that you know makes paranormal adventure yeah. shudder in fear. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, um, Is that the one that you have directly across the wall uh, uh, from you? I'm trying to remember the layout of your house, and I think you showed me one. There, there's, a, I'll grab one and show it to you, even though uh, yeah. oh! are going to have to pause and Google. Um, <laughs> this, this is so guy, exciting! Yeah, right okay, that was <gasps> the one I was thinking of. Wow, that and is like, so again. Cool. There's an elegance to this, and it's got yes. some smooth operation, smooth operation. Ooh, to see <laughs> that looks. <laughs> <laughs> why it's not what we now you know why it didn't take that historical place who knows right but um but we can trace when and how it happened and it happens in 1886 
We go back to Ohio, the birthplace of spirit trumpets and, and many other apparatus here in the U.S. Again, I encourage uh, listeners to go back to part one and, and listen mm -hmm. to us talk about the Coons family uh, and the birth of spirit trumpets there. I'm pretty sure. Absolutely. Um, and uh, so you go back to Ohio, which is a spiritualist hotbed, and you have, and it's not even the first time this happens. This We have multiple examples of people in the spiritualist press pairing their automatic writing planchettes with an alphabet board or sheet or cards, you know, where mm -hmm. they, they get tired of trying to sort of interpret the spirit scribble, if you will. And, yes. and so they, they begin writing it, they'll write into it, you know, their, their spiritualist newspaper and say, Hey, here's what I did. You know, we, we, we wrote the alphabet on the table. We used our planchet to point to letters. This is way quicker and you don't have to read your chicken scratch. And so there's <laughs> examples of that in the 1860s and the 1870s. And in 1886, this idea gets reborn and there's a there's a, a news story there's a, a newspaper mm. article about it and it's not initially called the talking board uh, it takes a few reprints of the article for this sort of generic name to come about but uh, the article does gain traction where it talks about Ohio spiritualists that have uh, created this alphabet board and that they're using a planchette like indicator to point to letters and numbers on it and we can't trace exactly, we do have some names. We can't trace exactly who might have first done it. We don't know. We do know that, um, uh, I, I remember Palmyra is one of the big cities and a lot of these communities um, out, outside of uh, Cleveland is, you know, you, you know, it talks about, oh, they're doing it in Palmyra. They're doing it here. They're doing it here. Just all these little communities outside Cleveland where, the word spreads locally, you know? And so some reporter at some point notices that this community is quite taken with um, with with what we'll, we'll come to call the talking board and they write an article about it. And that article gained some traction, slow news mm -hmm. week. And, <laughs> uh, and, and very quickly, uh, I don't, I can't recall if the first article actually has an illustration, but it, 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 it is very quickly illustrated. Uh, there's a, an illustration where it shows a man and a woman, you know, with the board on their lap and this very mm -hmm. long legged planchette. It's a, it's kind of a diamond shaped planchette and it, it, it's legs look like pencils. They must be, you know, six inches tall. <laughs> um, wow. And they're using the board and the illustration is very identifiable with the exact what I described or you know the double alphabet arch mm -hmm. and the line of numbers below um mm -hmm. very identifiable and the yes and no in corners you know indistinguishable from you know a kid's drawing of a Ouija board right right and so this news becomes really really hot really quick the New York Tribune uh does the article it gets reprinted all over the country and for a while a few weeks months i mean that article runs most of uh the better part of a year um uh, through newspapers all over the country and it's off it's a hot little thing for a hot minute mm -hmm. um and in that time you do have manufacturers offering things that they are calling talking boards you already mm -hmm. have Hudson Tuttle's psychograph, mm 
which I've described. Mm -hmm. You have mm -hmm. Thomas Lee's comes out. Thomas Lee's manufacturing puts out a, a board that has a little roller car planchette uh, that uh, was on some little wheels. It's a little rectangle on wheels with a little metal pointer on it. And it ran in a track back and forth mm -hmm. on a, probably a, like a 15 inch long board, kind of a longer skinny board with alphabet, you know, at the top. Uh -huh. He was kind enough to pay for illustrations of those that ran in his ad. So we know what it looked like. And then there are others that are less specific. Spirit board, mystic board, talking board, where mm -hmm. spiritualists primarily, a spiritualist entrepreneurs see an opening and produce several versions uh, or interpretations of the mm -hmm. Makes sense. I'm impressed that it ran in multiple newspapers for the better part of a year. That's yeah. A slow news year almost. Yeah, slow news <laughs> year, right? And so that's, you know, this is the article. So we can't directly tie the article. We, we can kind of directly tie the article in, right? <laughs> so there's a man named Charles Kennard or Charles Kennard, depending on what side mm. of the you're on. And he will later claim that he had played planchette as a child which is believable he was the right the right age fascinated by mesmerism and spiritualism and that he was thinking about his days playing with the planchette and then you know and during his childhood and he was noodling around with a breadboard and a saucer a you know upturned teacup <laughs> or a saucer in his oh. in his uh in his kitchen and he thought boy wouldn't it be easier if you pointed to letters on a board. Now, what year does he say this event happened? Well, he says it happened in his kitchen in 1886. Fancy I propose that. it happened in 1886 in a different room of the house while he sat reading the newspaper. <laughs> yeah. Probably on the toilet. Because <laughs> that is the year that uh that that article was so widely reprinted and this was in chestertown maryland where the baltimore sun was distributed Ooh. and he was an affluent dude very likely a subscriber we can't prove it because he never admits oh it was something i saw in the newspaper and i just copied <laughs> it and made my fortune <laughs> off of it but this will be the birth of the ouija board it okay. does not yet have that name mm -hmm. but he gets this spontaneous, miraculous idea that didn't come from the local newspaper and claimed <laughs> that, that he approached a local coffin maker and cabinet maker, the local undertaker, E.C. Mm -hmm. Reich, who had an adjacent office to his in the Voschel House in Chestertown, Maryland. It no longer stands, unfortunately, but it was in downtown oh. uh, Chestertown. And... Uh, claims that he approached this cabinet maker to um, to make a few copies of the board. They had some local interest. He debuted it at a party of his uh, at his father-in-law's house. And from there, the local notoriety spread and that he thought that he could make something of it. He approached D.C. Reich about sort of producing them on a wider scale. Uh, mm -hmm. E.C. Reich declined and a few years later, Charles Kennard relocates to Baltimore. 
and it's mm. in Baltimore, which is, you know, the state center of industry there, uh, yeah. that he uh, meets a fellow named Elijah Bond. And he will claim, mm. and again, you've got to be careful, right? Like, you, you've right. got to put the, the pieces together you can, because so much of this revisionist history comes from, spoiler alert, a bunch of guys fighting over credit in <laughs> in 1919 um, when uh, when the paper sort of mis misattributes the invention of the Ouija mm. to someone who wasn't originally involved with the company, so the company founders step up, and you can preen the truth out of the various narratives, but essentially yeah. you get to witness a pissing contest in the paper. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also nearly 30 years after the fact where they're all trying to set the record straight. They're all trying to get, you know, grab credit where credit is due. Uh, yeah. But in the process of that, you can pre you, you can get a pretty clear picture that what happens is uh, Charles Kennard claims that he goes around, he sort of shops it around. No one's interested, which is a very often repeated story from those who have found success in things, including the planchette, some of the early planchette originators. Mm. Exact same story. Everybody laughed at me until I made a million bucks, you know? <laughs> of and, course. Yeah. So uh, according to Charles uh, Kennard, uh, you know, he was, you know, it, it was not a well-accepted idea until he met Elijah Bond. Elijah Bond mm. saw something in it. And then a funny thing happens. Elijah Bond and you know Kennard wasn't doing too shabby he had had a fertilizer business I can't mm -hmm. think of a fertilizer business in Chestertown that that had either failed or sold uh, uh or closed and but he's also mm -hmm. a real estate agent so he was actually a practicing real estate agent at the time in Baltimore so should not one would think not disadvantaged uh right. Elijah Bond uh this so Elijah Bond partners with him but Kind of takes control of the idea and and but not necessarily in a in a bad way. These these folks, spoiler alert, will sort of remain friends, these two. But Elijah okay. winds up being the gentleman who patents the idea. Mm. And so he and why Kennard couldn't do that, it remains a mystery. But yeah. Elijah Bond sort of funds the development. He makes what he believes are improvements to Kennard's idea. We don't know mm -hmm. exactly what those improvements are, um, but he then creates the patent drawing. He uh, submits the patent application under his own name. He does do it with an agreement, and he does follow through in this agreement that he uh, he's going to assign the patent to Charles Kennard. Oh, and okay. another guy that sort of comes at his, uh, oh gosh, his, his exact, it's his, um, I believe it's his brother-in-law, Charles Moppin. And so that there's also a weird sort of business relationship there. It's like, okay, why did why didn't you just have Charles Kennard patent the board? Why didn't he Fine. patent it? And yeah, and, but but then you're going to turn around and assign it back to him. And then there's mm -hmm. also this other sort of strangeness where the company will come to be called the Kennard Novelty Company. So they do form a company as partners. They uh -huh. do get other investors. We'll get to that in a second, but. Elijah Bond and in in, in uh, you know, 30 years later is looking back at this moment and he says, I I named it the Kennard Novelty Company in deference to the enthusiasm of Charles Kennard for the talking board. And you're like, so 
he's sort of putting the money up, but he also has other investors. So obviously uh -huh. he had means uh, that Charles Kenner did not. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but that is the business arrangement that shakes out. They decide they're going to try to commercially produce uh, this talking board. It in these early days, it it has a name, uh, a prototype name that they do abandon. We don't know what it is, and they abandon mm -hmm. uh, in favor of its famous moniker. Okay, so one of my big questions is how did the Ouija board get its name? Because I've heard different stories over the years. Right. So that's exactly where we are. So they have this working title for this project, right? They haven't mm -hmm. really produced them commercially. Mm -hmm. uh, we do have some early versions that don't have a name on them yet that we, you know, we speculate were, were early, early boards from this company. Mm -hmm. And so what they, they are actually, some of the company founders are sitting, sitting at the board. They are in a, a boarding house uh, of Elijah Bonds. He has his sister-in-law there. This is a woman named Helen Peters. And mm -hmm. Helen Peters uh, is working the board. They considered Helen a strong medium, quote unquote, uh, okay. in these later recollections. And uh, they say that she was at work on the board and they strike upon the idea of asking the board itself what it would like to be called. Hmm. So with her working it, it spells out O-U-I-J-A. And they ask what that means and uh, it responds, good luck. And oh. so it will become the Egyptian luck board uh, in many of its early advertisements is what that mm -hmm. is specifically uh, referring to. And so the board names itself. Now, this is a good time to debunk so Oh, <laughs> I, I just wrote an entire chapter of, a, of, of, a, of an upcoming anthology on We Just Place in Pop Culture. I just wrote an entire chapter, y'all, on debunking the, the, the Ouija myths. And, there are, and they Ooh. are still so widely repeated and widely. Uh -huh. And so let's... Let's kill them tonight. Let's yes. Hold them under the bathwater until they stop moving. <laughs> uh, I am one, here for it. One is that Ouija is a combination of the German and French words for yes. So German, mm -hmm. Ouija, French, yeah. 100% horseshit. We can track <laughs> the moment in the newspapers where someone suggests that uh -huh. and uh it happens fairly early but it also happens because the ouija manufacturers do not step up and correct them oh. we don't know about the helen peters story until the baltimore sun pissing match in 1919 so nearly 30 years later and wow. so they don't come forward and say no 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 it named itself which would have been a great fantastic yeah. pitch but they don't <laughs> they stay silent on the matter and it doesn't help either that the person mm. who comes into control of the company doesn't really refute this article and there will often be articles that mention the german french myth in the middle of interviews with with the the later company uh, uh owner that where it's not they don't necessarily ask him but it's paired right alongside his name. So it gives us this air of authority. And yeah, then it's right. repeated in these various like, you know, psychic phenomenon and, a, you know, encyclopedias of the occult books. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yes. it's reprinted as fact from there. The other 
is you know that you know Ouija boards have existed since the time of Pythagoras. And- <laughs> oh, <laughs> I've seen this. Yeah. Utter fabrication. I mean, there is one ancient account of an idiomotor-like divination where mm-hmm. a pendulum, a ring, was hung from a string like a pendulum. And mm-hmm. uh, was hung over a silver bowl on a tripod that had a, a perimeter of the alphabet, and uh, and it spelled out a prediction of an upcoming emperor's name. And these oh. men were essentially charged for treason for this divination. And <laughs> that is a very real account. But mm-hmm. this Pythagoras thing is something I'm, I'm trying to remember the earliest instance of it. It's I believe it's in the 19 teens, and it just pops up. It just pops up as. Okay. Just this writer literally makes it up and he says it's a, oh, some French anthropologist account, which does not exist. I promise you, somewhere on a blog, on the internet, this month, someone repeated that crap, both of those. And they are utter fabrications. We have it from the founders themselves how the board named itself and the true right. history of Ouija. You know, we can talk mm-hmm. about, you know, these ancient things. Yeah, the other one is Chinese Fuji writing, which is a basket-like, a planchette-like method of basket divination where they would write characters in trays of sand. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is an ancient practice. It did not directly influence modern spiritualists. They were unaware of these connections. And so right. uh, we have to be very careful in repeating this terrible Victorian mistake. It was a very Victorian thing to do to say, we're idiots. Modern society is idiotic. The ancients knew everything. We're just trying to catch up. And that's why we have Latin grammar rules for Germanic language. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And so that, you know, we're still repeating a lot of these falsehoods. So we just getting its name is, is definitely one of those, but it named itself. We have firsthand accounts undisputed uh, from the founders of the company. So, you know, take that for, for, for what it is. Which is, I'm like, that's so much cooler. I don't know why that, I mean, why they wouldn't promote that that's oh and i mean it does in a way suggest an answer for why this is the one that stuck in history it was literally named by itself for good luck Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah when you're named good luck your name may stick in history longer right and there is another little interesting aspect of the of the naming episode that that has sparked some speculation uh one of which i worry that i fear is is getting the same kind of traction Mm. as these other sort of myths. And that is, and this is part of the original account, where Elijah Bond notes that uh, in this account, he says Helen Helen was wearing a locket that had a, a picture of a woman and the word Ouija upon it. But I asked her if that influenced the name of the board as she said no well oh. the word ouija did not exist for that moment right and so what was on that damn locket right yeah so right. a lot of speculation you will see online uh researchers that i don't agree with have speculated that uh that the log the picture of the woman might be the the feminist author Weda. 
who, to be fair, does have a signature that, you know, was sort of a a big sweep to it. But maybe, so you think, okay, May, she was pretty popular. Maybe there was a a fangirl locket with her signature on it or something. Okay. Uh, More probable is the fact that Helen Peters will, soon after these events, marry a man with with the surname Nosworth. And I've done research uh, into into her soon-to-be husband. The Nosworthy family was a prominent family of spiritualists from Great Britain um, oh. and a family full of mediums. And they were Cora Hatch's famous medium for anyone well-versed in spiritual yeah. ministry. That's a, that's like Cardi B, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Cora Hatch hugely famous medium one of the top mediums of her day this family was her british liaison and her host her heralds when she toured in great britain and once you start looking into the history of cora hatch Mm -hmm. her primary spirit guide in this period and keep in mind helen peter's soon-to-be husband literally grew up with her during right. this period, as a young man and teenager, um, her primary spirit guide was named Weena, O-U-I-N-A. Oh, and, that just like gave me chills. Oh my God. So, so I propose that the locket is uh comes from his family because this was during mm-hmm. the period of their courtship mm-hmm. the picture is more likely a a etching drawing of weena the uh cora had to spirit guy that makes a lot of sense um, it so does is it any more valid we can only you know we can only speculate but there is a very close family connection to the word weena to yeah. the world, yeah, d- directly through her and the man she would marry and you know the, shortly thereafter for sure that's, that's incredible i'm like i'm having to sit with that for a minute that's really amazing i never knew that connection yeah wow that does make more sense for sure yeah. who knows right <laughs> so what we have now is we have a patent in progress uh, mm-hmm. which will soon be granted. Elijah Bond will see the agreement through. He will sign it off. But by this time, uh, Elijah Bond and Charles Kennard have assembled sort of a team of investors, mostly other Freemasons. They were both Freemasons. Mm-hmm. And uh, this will include Colonel Washington Bowie. It'll include uh, Harry Harry Wells Rusk, who was a very prominent senator. Colonel Washington mm-hmm. Bowie was a very prominent citizen. This is some, some big old money if you will right. okay. that is investing in the company and they will take the newly dubbed Ouija board and do production and uh debut it and uh it will it will make a splash it's not quite planchette and talking table ter- table turning level of splash but it's original 1890s introduction is substantial we'll say uh, will okay. really reserve its biggest hit for the 1920s, but it does have a a, a substantial uh, debut, if you will. Wow. And this debut draws the attention of one of the other parties in its early history, and that's cabinet maker E.C. Reich. And oh. uh, E.C. Reich travels to Baltimore, 
meets with the company directors, including Charles Kennard, uh, who by this time, by the way, this is within, I believe it's about two weeks, Charles Kennard has just assigned the patent rights that were turned over to him uh -huh. back to the company. So this was sort of one of the uh, terms of the agreement of these investors. Oh. Well, the company was going to own the patents. Within, I oh. think it's a couple of weeks of Charles Kennard assigning, like, you know, he had it. He, right. he had all the rights to it, split 50-50. But the agreement was with the investments and the way the money and the funding went that the company yeah. owned those. So he signs it off to them. And, you know, just a few weeks later, uh, here comes E.C. Reich saying, actually, that's my idea. Oh. I he saw that at a party I brought the boards to. I made them. I was the first. And now you have these two men squabbling over, excuse me, over mm -hmm. something neither of them invented. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> and wow. we know this. We know they both read wow. the same paper. Um, <laughs> Well, we don't know that for sure, but <laughs> undeniably, you know, particularly <laughs> given that they use the same damn double arch of letters that that are illustrated yeah. in those papers. Like, you yes. know, it, it didn't it didn't put them in a grid. It you know, it uses the 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 same illustration. Yeah. And so the company actually assigns him, and Charles Kennard has to suffer the indignity of actually signing over stock certificates to this guy oh. who. We know from the 1919 pissing match, he presents some evidence that convinces the company founders that he actually is responsible. Wow. And so Kennard has, has to suffer the indignity of signing over the stock certificates to, wow. to pay him for his contributions now as a sort of a, as a, a, an unspoken company founder. And uh, it happens twice. He comes back and says, "No, no, 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 no." He stop shit. So I'm going to, I'm going to need more. And he gets it. And this does change things within the company. So now you have, and and we also it gives us a window too into the the financial arrangements, which I can't get too deep into. The stuff starts to get like you know a little boilerplate. But Elijah Bond, suffice to say, Elijah Bond remains the majority shareholder. Let's just use mm. the common part, you know, common modern parlance. He remains the majority shareholder. Okay. And but after this event, things start to shift in the company. Charles okay. Kennard gets uh, put in charge of opening their new Chicago factory. They send him on a. They send him to the farm right he's he's yeah, and so he, yeah he relocates he's he's seen off from from baltimore now whether he went willingly or not but it was it happens real quick this event happens mm -hmm. and then suddenly it's like oh he's now you know cities away you know uh opening up the new branch factory and he begins work on something else he gets a new patent on a new item uh, on a new talking board and uh and it's beautiful uh it's uh i usually keep 
no no it's not nearby um i usually keep the i i i love the patent drawing of it of the captain <laughs> uh he produces a new talking board he gets a patent for it because he now sees the value in having control of that patent right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right right and he and he doesn't have control of it anymore it it was in his hands ever so briefly yeah, yeah. so he gets a patent on a a Ouija looking device. It's a it's a talking board. It has a board, but the planchette is attached uh, on a little uh, wooden post at the base of the oh. board. And the planchette is on wheels like automatic writing planchettes. You know, it just it it moves back and forth. And it's on a little slot. It's so it 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 can move. Not only does it roll back and forth, but it can kind of move up and down to to point at each bank of letters. Wouldn't you know it? Uh we've got this great article where uh, i just love it because you suddenly see casnon board so so he dubs this the casnon board maybe mm. that was the working title of the ouija before maybe that would make maybe. sense but, yeah but so he dubs this the casnon and suddenly you see the casnon board appearing right alongside ouija boards and advertisements now he hasn't quite left the company just yet and there's a reporter that is interviewing a toy shop owner or buyer. And the guy says, well, the Ouija factory told, uh, you know, Ouija is so popular right now, it's hard to get. And the Ouija factory told us they were all sold out, but they sold us a batch of these other things, the Kaznan board. Hmm. And like, oh. was, uh, not was, Charles Kennard had begun producing the Kaznan board uh, while still employed with the Kinder Novelty Company at the Chicago factory. Oh, interesting. And, it, and, wow. and all that, when you start looking at this stuff chronologically and putting it all, I timeline everything, y'all. I mean, I, right. I, I think my 1890, it's like 120 pages worth of, of just timelines. Wow. And wow. when you, and all this stuff is happening within week. And then suddenly Charles Kennard unloads his stock to Elijah Bond and, uh -huh. and cashes out of the company. Oh. And, then suddenly the and then the company very quickly renames itself from the Kenner Novelty Company to the Ouija Novelty Company. They have, mm. to, they have to approve that through legislature, right? Their corporation documents. They very quickly send somebody to Chicago uh, to establish, you know, like what the hell's happening. They send their attorneys. They're trying to figure all this stuff out. They can't. They can't protect their patent because he's got his own patent on that other device. But he also, yeah. right. you know, the factory was in his name. They relocate because they are in a location that Kennard had the lease on. So they relocate. Ooh. So it gets, it gets dirty. And, uh, wow. and then Kennard's going to mess up. And I, I'm going to go back in time here in a second, but Kennard messes up with this board right here. It's the one I pulled down earlier. <gasps> Our okay. But this will yes. be. So Kennard immediately forms the Northwestern Toy Company to begin to ostensibly continue producing the Kaznan, another game called the Gardez, but also this board, the alternate to the Ouija and one of its earliest competitors, the Volo board. Mm. But there's a problem. <gasps> See, this Volo board just had a regular old planchette. Right. The problem with this this is a Ouija knockoff. This is a bootleg. He doesn't have patent protections on the Volo. 
Oh. He got a patent on. And they uh-huh. haven't said anything about it. But he makes the mistake, and who knows why. Maybe it was just easier to produce. Maybe he feels entitled. But he begins to produce this Ouija knockoff that uh-huh. is subject to patent litigation. And so oh. they come after him very quickly within, you know, weeks or months of his departure from the country company. Uh, they come after him and they are able to successfully shut down uh, the Volo operation. And he has to uh, submit a very embarrassing letter to the trade that basically says, okay, they were right. We were wrong. The Volo's an infringement. We are referring all sales to the, Newly dubbed Ouija Novelty Company. And you can imagine the indignity of Charles Kennard having all of this credit and livelihood sort of ripped from his fingertips Mm. um, within months, within a few short The big money comes in and takes over the company. He has less of a say. His early collaborator comes in and gets a lion's share of the credit to his mm-hmm. own embarrassment. He gets shoveled off to Chicago. Now he tries to do his own thing and then gets yeah. busted. You know? And so, uh, but there's someone else following this same pattern uh, at almost the same, within months of, of Charles Kennedy doing this, there's someone else that gets an alternate talking board patent too. And it's a young shop foreman named William Fold. And for the listeners, William Fold is a very famous name connected to Ouija, even for our generation, because uh-huh. even in the 1960s, Parker Brother Board still had William Fold's name oh. on the bottom of the board. So a oh, lot yeah. of people remember that name. And, and yeah. it, I can't remember exactly when, when his name disappeared from the boards, but but uh, his name still appeared on the boards in the 1960s. And mm-hmm. so uh, it, he uh, he is the most famous name connected to it, not the company founders. But wow. he at the same time, and I've always questioned sort of the motivation here, at the same time, he gets his own patent, just like Kennard does. Uh, and he begins working on it. One of these boards has a, and we didn't think it had ever been produced, but one of these boards has actually shown up recently. So we know that at the very shop prototype was, was produced. Uh, And it was called the Oracle board and throughout, um, uh, you know, many, many listeners may realize that the Ouija is often bylined as the mystifying. Yes. At a very early time in the 1890s, he, the shop foreman, is is fascinated with this alternate name of Oracle, a mystifying Oracle, which he will he will trademark, he will rebirth, he will create an alternate line to the Ouija, uh, mm-hmm. 1910s called the the Oracle line, and then he calls it the mystifying Oracle. And so uh, he is working on this sort of, I don't know, alternative backup plan. Is he going to? Is he trying to impress the company founders? Is he <laughs> going to strike off on his own? But it's not long after all these things happened with Kennard. And we don't know exactly what became of that, but he will very shortly after these events partner up with his brother, Isaac Fold, and lease the manufacturing rights from the Ouija Novelty Company and produce the Ouija as Isaac Fold and brother. And... um, 
and 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 begin a sort of a new a newly branded legacy uh of of the Ouija and the talking board and that you know that begins in the 1890s and uh you know stretches uh you know what of the modern day wow <laughs> no i this is i i've never like as you're talking about the Kazanon board and the volo board i've never even heard of these in the history of talking boards like yeah. Are there are there many? Can you even find these anymore? Like I'm thinking, I would think they'd be extremely rare now. I mean, I know Incre I saw you had incredibly one, but... rare. So this yeah. Volo board, I believe, is one of only two in <gasps> existence. Wow. Um, uh, there are other competitors around this time. There is the uh, more common Esperito board, and mm -hmm. we'll we'll go back in time a little bit. Um, the Esperito board is produced by the W.S. Reed Toy Company in mm -hmm. uh, Leminster, Massachusetts. Um, there's a funny thing that this company did in 1886. President Garfield gets married very famously to his very young age discrepancy bride uh, in the <laughs> White House in 1886. And uh, this is about the same time all these talking board articles are being reprinted in the papers. Mm -hmm. The W.S. Reed Toy Company pulls this publicity stunt where they create at least one, if not more, items that they call the witch board. And oh. they send yeah. this alphabet board with a planchette-like indicator to President Grover Cleveland as a nuptials gift a wedding <laughs> oh gift. my gosh and, and they do a big thing the local paper carries it and it gets picked up and it gets some press uh consult the witch board is is the, the name of the article <laughs> and then president cleveland actually writes them back thanks them for the gift but assures them that he will not be using it in matters of national policy <laughs> that is brilliant so I you have it. i know and you have a toy company now that's a very prolific toy company that has now actually manufactured a talking board in 1886 four oh. years before the ouija's debut hmm. well after ouija debuts and has a big splash mm -hmm. the free toy company resurrects that idea and, mm -hmm. and puts it on the market as the Esperito or Revelator board and mm -hmm. get to sell and advertise it and get hit with a cease and desist. Now, oh. the Ouija Novelty Company, who they had a four-year jump on, has patented the yeah. item that they've already produced. Wow. And Ooh. they have to do the same industry letter of shame to basically say we're not going to sell the esperito anymore and you can now those were manufactured in greater numbers than the volo mm -hmm. uh, they got out there really you know mm -hmm. they just google this stuff or oh we right. saw a social media post like they eventually an ad you know came you know came across uh the Ouija novelty companies um you know uh, in division as it were into yeah. sight and, and they and they um they took action but uh, so yeah, they will. They, uh, you know, there are other boards from the era, the the Garside Throne Board, which did have a design patent protection. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are definitely other competitors that are trying to circumvent that patent. Um, 
Elijah Bond, to sort of close the loop on his story, he mm -hmm. had also acquired patents in Canada and Great Britain. Oh. Mm. And he sort of secures his own legacy by signing a licensing deal with uh, a Canadian company, Cop Clark, uh, to produce Ouija in Canada and a fun factoid. Uh, this original agreement is very primitive. I don't know if you're familiar with the Dr. Pepper story here in Texas where the Dublin bottling plant had literally an old uh, distribution agreement written on an old napkin. And it literally <laughs> says you can deliver in a radius equal to like uh, the distance you can travel by by cart in a, in two days or something like that. Uh -huh. that as rudimentary as anything. Yeah, yeah. They have a very rudimentary licensing agreement. He forms another company, another partnership and why? Because he did not assign the international patents to the Ouija novelty company. So he assigns uh -huh. the license to Canada. And later when the company tries to move into Canada, they've been outmaneuvered by this company that, that, that has a and to this day that company because of the terms of the original agreement can produce Ouija license free nice wow. yeah. that's amazing yeah um, I have the, a, the, yeah the original agreement was, was something like wants a certain royalty agreement or you know or something mm -hmm. and once the original patent expired uh, okay. But, yeah. Anyway. No, that's incredible. I, I have a quick question because I don't know if this is true, but I I've heard as we're talking about the patent that they had to prove to get the patent they had to prove that the Ouija board actually worked. They did. And that they did. And, okay. Yeah. I didn't know if that was true or not. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it's one of those stories that yeah. So that comes out of the 1919. Grudge. Oh, okay. And and, okay. and when Elijah Bond says he went, presumably with Helen Peters, he actually does not say it's Helen Peters. He just says, I went with a strong medium. Again, mm. we presume that's Helen Peters because he talks about her elsewhere in this recollection. Uh, he went to Washington, D.C. to prove it to the patent office. Uh, and uh, some of the story is family lore that's kind of gotten okay. out online that, that as a historian... I can't rely on, I, you know, I can't, uh, I can't process third hand information on, on hearsay and say so. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, the patent documents do, when you get to the original ones that have all the no notes and correspondence back and forth, it does say um, like patent not approved citing, you know, test and show results as the patentee has has uh proposed or you know something wow. similar to this language so it does mm -hmm. match up with elijah bond's later recollections that he traveled to washington dc to approve the board in action that's very cool and okay. early ads mention it as well they do say like satisfied the patent officer <laughs> <laughs> i love that i but love elijah, that so elijah bond does travel to the uk to to establish we just foothold there so he secures canada mm -hmm. Uh, he travels to the UK. He finds that he's been outmaneuvered in a legal way, in a way that for me is is kind of funny because we talked about the EI Horseman planchette, which was my mm -hmm. very first one. Uh -huh. Eric and toy manufacturer, Elijah Horseman, EI Horseman, is buying Ouija legally wholesale in America and exporting them 
into Great Britain. (laughs) Elijah Bond basically puts all of his stock on the line. He, he, he does, he had, he does a weird holding cell with Colonel Washington Bowie, who's the president of the company where he's like, I need some money. I'm going to do this investment trip thing, but it was kind of uncon. It was kind of connected, kind of not with the company because he's going to be getting a different set of royalties because of his UK patent, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so right. It's, it's a, so he, but so basically, he sells a bunch of stock on the agreement that it'll be sold back to him. He mm-hmm. sells a bunch of stock to the the company president, and he goes overseas. He finds out that plan that the scientific planchette manufacturer, uh, EI Horseman. It has been in the UK selling Ouija legally. Not he's not in defiance of any patent. He's yeah, buying right. it from the company. Yep. He goes over and finds out he's been he he arrives in uh I believe March or April, and Elijah Horseman had been at it since September. <laughs> oh and God. the fad has already peaked and ebbed ebbed and flowed by yep. the time. So it puts Bond in a very precarious position, so he hops back to the U.S. Now he has put all of his stocks up as collateral for this venture that did not pay off. Oh, and no. he tries to pull some corporate boardroom shenanigans, uh, you know, and, and tries to sort of do an emergency stock buyback sort of thing, and it ultimately fails, and he will relinquish his stock and and leave the company, leaving Washington Bowie in charge, who then puts William Bold in charge. Um, wow. Oh, that, oh, my goodness. Oh, it's so <laughs> well, it's so great. Yeah, I mean, no, it's an amazing roller coaster for sure. It is. Oh, it, it is. And trying to write about this stuff, y'all, can be so <laughs> difficult because especially like you're, you're like, you know, you're trying to write about, oh, well, and all, by the way, Elijah Bond's trip back and forth happens while this stuff's going down with Kennard in Chicago. Oh, my God. (laughs) While this is happening, William Fold, the new shop foreman who's going to take control of the company, is like doing his own little patent thing during the same time. And you're like, well, how do you talk about this guy? When do you talk about him? Because like the company founders are leaving, he's going to be super important. And it's this like simultaneous narrative narratives and they're shutting down competition and like all this stuff happens in this like whirlwind series of months and it was so fun but so challenging to write that narrative for for my my book to to get it down in a way in fact i ended up very recently changing the the william fold narrative as a result of the discovery of that original oracle board because you're like the fact that we know they were produced like, whoa, what's going on there? It doesn't say Ouija Novelty Company on it, is it? Right. You know, like, that wasn't just a, uh, an idea. Like, somebody made one of these, you know? And and so, yeah, it it gets, uh, it was some, some drama, you know? <laughs> hey, at least it happened before the book came out. <laughs> yes. Yeah, of course, I know the minute my book comes out, there's going to be like six new discoveries. Oh, naturally. No. But, you know. <laughs> right. And um, I gosh, and and I know like the Ouija board takes off and it gets really popular. Um, but is it looked? I mean, as time goes on, I remember like my grandmother had one in the forties, and she was like, it wasn't anything scary. We used it to see who we were going to marry, and I mean, it kind of become. It seems like it becomes kind of like more of a game, like a 
kind of turns into a children's toy in a sense. Well, so it's both. And the mm-hmm. other myth that I spend a lot of mm-hmm. time debunking, and you'll see so much of this online, and it's repeated mm-hmm. by, you know, so-called foremost experts, um, <laughs> and, and that that it was this innocent parlor game, so innocently right. depicted by Norman Rockwell yeah. and, <laughs> and, you know, uh, in the 1920s until the exorcist and then the exorcist comes out and you know they pull it from behind the dryer and the planchette and three scenes later she's spitting up split piece food (laughs) suddenly the whole world changed and Mm -hmm. it is undeniably uh that is a fabricated narrative Ooh, so I want to hear narrative. So, and we can go all the way back to the birth, so, to the summer of talking tables, uh-huh. to the birth of planchettes in France, to the planchette craze in the 1860s, mm-hmm. and demonstrably demonstrate point by point by infinite points of evidence. Uh-huh. Uh, one being in 1854, uh, there's one French author who is using his planchette and it, it develops a weird little case of Tourette's and starts cussing him out. <laughs> and in between these scribbling uh, curses, his usual spirit guide is interjecting and <laughs> change plans. <laughs> you know, you can imagine what's going on, right? In, in right written form. And the guy's trying to describe it in his books. Um, she finally breaks through and she's like, for the love of God, change planchettes. This one's possessed by the devil. So he grabs an alternate planchette. She comes through and she says, he's in the varnish. Strip the varnish of that other planchette and then I'll be able to use it again. And there are so many countless examples. So there are all these clergymen in 1853 writing these books, pamphlets, and treatises on how table tipping is the work of the devil and how it's possessed yeah, the table, those. literally possessing the table, and the table's moving on its own and levitating, uh-huh. and it's the work of the devil. We see it with planchettes point by point by preacher after preacher, point by point. It's the devil. It's the devil. You see it. In Ouija's debut, all of this baggage from turning from table turning to planchettes uh-huh. being the work of the devil transfers onto the shoulders of the Ouija. It carries it forward. You see it throughout its 1920 heyday. Um, uh-huh. You see it in its debut. You see it again in the 1940s. And the only thing we can attribute to that is sort of the new age emphasis where we get these early stages of what will become the 80s era satanic panic Mm -hmm. where everything starts becoming the devil and it does play into that narrative and amplify it but the idea now in this modern conception Mm -hmm. that Ouija is considered any more diabolical uh, in a statistical comparison to those who still just considered an innocent party, like I would mm-hmm. say the three of us just considered right. some good, good old fashioned fun. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would say is still statistically the same portion of the population that it was in the mm. 1850s 
and the 1860s and 1890s and 1920s and 1940s. I would posit that it's the same statistical segment of the population that carries that belief of diabolical influence. Wow. We just have modern mouthpieces that interesting in different ways. And that's see, like, fascinating. I was under the impression that the big shift with the exorcist was when it went from evil spirits to devils and demons. But apparently I did I misunderstood that part because um that was what I thought the big shift was. Not that it that's, was something yeah. it, it was perfectly innocent and then it became evil, but it was the the kind of evil change with the exorcist. But that makes a lot of sense. No, and I, I mean, do remember for, yeah, hearing about the, the table early, tipping being yeah, so, from the yeah. early days of spirit, you know, spirit rapping, the fox sisters. Devil, 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 all devils. Wow. To be you fair, know, I live in a post-Waterboy world and everything's the devil, Bobby. So <laughs> I assumed <laughs> I assumed that was a little bit of uh, common parlance thrown back into history, not just quoted coming forward where evil spirits and the devil were kind of interchangeable and it was it becoming a demon coming through was the change. But right. you even see there's, a, there's an 18, I, I love this. It's an 1863 drawing that I've reproduced in my book where there's a guy doing automatic writing, which is a, a form of spirit writing without a planchette. I know y'all mm-hmm. know that, but that was for the listeners. Yeah. And um, he's seated at a table and above him are some parted clouds and an angel, an angelic woman, a spirit, an angelic woman, no wings, peeking through the clouds. And there are these rays of inspiration that are sort of coming down onto his hand that she's guiding. And then standing up behind him is a little horned, fork-tailed devil hmm. who oh. is, is, has his hand placed over his hand. And it talks about, and it's a, it's a critical text that this illustration is in, and it talks about high level of the brain and how it equates to high spirits as opposed to these other spiritualist practices like automatic writing that can attract earthbound or demonic mm. spirits um, mm. to influence. Mm. And then you get the conceptions from Andrew Jackson Davis and his peers of the Daiku, which is basically <laughs> all any spirit you talk to could be a devil and right. uh, and and impersonating uh, your loved one. And you know, and where do you go from there once they're like, oh, you know. Um, yeah. Wow. Well, that 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 that's so interesting. It kind of makes me look at my grandmother a little different. Like, wow, she because she bought me my first Ouija board when I was right. in, in elementary school, and I thought it was cool, and we'd play it together. And then I had a friend come over one day and scream when she saw it. Yeah. And I'm like, what? It's a Ouija board. <laughs> like, so. Yeah, no, your grandma and my mother would get along great because my mom bought the glow in the dark one when I was a teenager, <laughs> freaked out some of my friends, confused the other friends, and I was bored because it takes so long to spell everything out. <laughs> but like, yeah, no, I think we all just had the right family members influencing us to where we're like, yeah, yeah it's a tool. What do you what do you want from me? Yeah. yeah. Maybe. Well, wow, that is so interesting. That you know, it that- it does, you know, to 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 give. The Exorcist and Witch Board and you mm-hmm. know, our modern Ouija one, Ouija two, all the other horror movies. A little, little bit of credit. They have amplified. They have exploited mm-hmm. and amplified that belief, but it's hardly mm-hmm. new. And there is no dramatic shift where you know. And and I, y'all, I had to correct a college professor in front of his class where I Oof. had been invited to lecture, and he interjected 
and literally brought up the whole Norman Rockwell versus the X. And I was like, yeah, let's just stop the class here for a second because I got to, you know. uh, Yeah. I've had to do it's 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 just the evidence does not I mean you could cherry pick evidence but right the 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 the, the whole you know you start you look at it in the entire scope of things and it just doesn't play interesting because wow. yeah I would have assumed it was a slight trajectory and then a shift up too. but not a not necessarily a, a switch flipping but where right. it kind of ramped up a bit more but that's okay cool yeah I have been corrected and I'm okay with that Same. <laughs> glad I'd rather be cor- I would rather be corrected than to continue being I'm not correcting you I'm correcting the record no, hey there oh. we go I would rather <laughs> repeat truths than falsehoods thank you for correcting us <laughs> yes <laughs> well we have kept you so long I just had well and Caitlin may have one more question I'm just curious kind of as a fun last question what is maybe your favorite board you have or your rare I don't know what what's the favorite board you found I mean, the rarest Ooh. one's probably the one he was talking about where there's one right. or two. That's, that's a contender. Um, if we're talking just talking boards, I mean, mm-hmm. I really have a soft spot for just the first production runs of, of the early Kennard boards mm-hmm. uh, with their little paddle-shaped planchette are, are, are just great. I love the Esperito board. It's planchette in particular. Um, and it's, it's, it's too complicated of an answer, but it's, it's planchette carries the shape and legacy that might have been inherited directly from the original french planchettes um uh which is a whole i've written entire articles just on that archaeology of of the of its shape um so the esperito board is certainly certainly a a lovely one and you know i'm kind of looking looking around my house now (laughs) but i don't want any of them to get jealous Uh, I have acquired finally, after many years of searching, a uh, uh, a Theodore H. White idiopsychograph board. It's a big old mouthful. We'll call it the idio board or the the ideal board. Um, and I'll show it to y'all. Um, this this will be a sorry to deprive the listeners. But... I mean, <laughs> if you want to take a picture of it, we can always share it on the socials. Yeah, you, True. Well, you, 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 y'all saw this one on, on your visit too, but it's a super colorful. Oh, yeah, that um, one. Oh. Um, I've actually written the biography on this talking board maker. And for all the boardroom drama and stuff of Charles Kennard and Elijah Bond and Colonel Bowie and stuff, all of that pales in comparison, I feel, as much as I have a responsibility to uh, to report on that stuff and it's so important to Ouija's history and especially to get all that right um it's the oddball makers that fascinate me the most the don dickermans of the world i was sorry the guy i'm currently writing on and the and the theodore h whites and uh theodore h white was a legit occultist and snake oil salesman oh. hypnotist mesmerist uh he ran he was in baltimore as well where the ouija was was produced and uh, is next to william fold uh, the most prolific patentee of talking board designs on mm-hmm. on record. He, he had oh about six patents or so. Uh, this mm-hmm. is one of his very rare surviving boards. There's only about three of these out in the world, uh, maybe four. Wow. Uh, yeah, for 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 the the listeners, it's a bright yellow board with a dark green border, and it's just absolutely covered in. Uh, very collorful full color symbols you know a heart with a sword through it a duck a cross cross oh sword a rat eagles and anchor all these symbols and uh theodore white is 
so cool. His history is so cool because he ran essentially this like occult pharmacy and correspondence course where you could write in and get a a textbook correspondence course on spiritualism and hypnotism. Uh, and it was all bunk and bogus and bullshit. And uh, <laughs> the, the feds come in and bust him for mail fraud. Oh. And, uh, and expose his entire operation. He produced talking boards in the midst of this. He ends up serving three years in, in the penitentiary for it. But because oh of the, and then he goes and does it again in California where it's legal. And, and he's crazy. At one point during his trial, he threatens to hypnotize the entire courtroom and just see himself <laughs> out. Oh um, and, and he's a great swarthy mustachioed guy. And um, I love it. Uh, he's amazing, and I've written a biography of him. <gasps> it hasn't it's it's unpublished as of yet. It'll it'll be out before too long, and I hope. Yeah, just the guy was just utterly, utterly fascinating. And talking boards were often his early funding mechanism, and because of him, myself and other researchers have a very intimate and precise window into how other similar. Um, occult operations worked to get their money oh. with horses and stuff and you know we call them the mail order mages and he is a his trial that exposed everything he did from like i mean stuff that that we see repeated in like modern multi-level marketing schemes and stuff wow. so it sounds like an mlm exactly <laughs> yeah. and and you know that it exposes. So his trial exposes that. So he's a very important figure historically for the information we're able to get from that trial that that deciphers how his peers and competitors worked. And so the fact that they, that he produced these great talking boards and, and that I I'm able to hold one after years of research in this guy and his career, yeah yeah that makes this one really special. That's amazing. Oh, my goodness. Well, Kate, do you have any other questions or anything? I mean, other than to request that he comes back and covers yes. that guy in another episode. Oh, yes. totally. Oh, my God. We could do it. I have lectured on Theodore H. White. He is. That's it is. There is so much more to it than that. I mean, that, that's <gasps> it's he. I love him. He's amazing. Yeah, we could totally do a TH White episode any day. Right? So we'll make you a reoccurring guest. And we're very yeah. <laughs> After this, we'll start looking at dates again. And then exactly. we'll do Don Dickerman. I'm, I'm writing on Don Dickerman now. He's a 1940s era, uh, well, he, from the 1920s to the 1960s. He's one of America's most famous restaurateurs. He's largely credited for inventing the themed nightclub. And uh, this guy was a lifelong spiritualist who uh, dressed as a pirate almost every day of his life and uh, was, thought, thought he was a reincarnation of a pirate who had sailed with Henry Morgan. And he produced a, a talking board, the highest Sprite board in the 1940s. And I, I literally, I did a, an interview two days ago with an 82 year old woman who held seances with him. Oh. And, with him. and uh, yeah. Uh, oh my God. Another absolutely fascinating personality. Okay. That's fantastic. So I think the new game plan might be, hey, Brandon, who do you want to talk about? Well, yes. I, yeah, I'll, I'll show you this too. So uh, I'll show you this too. Again, uh, the, the, uh, let me see if I can get my camera. All right, so you see my fireplace there? Mm -hmm. Yes. See all those piles of papers. You see the robot, but all the piles of papers. 
Those are his seance transcripts from the 1940s. What? Oh my god! And they're they're talking board transcripts. They're all written in block letters as he gets all their communications one by one. So I've been I've been going through those for the last week and interviewing family members and stuff. Okay, yeah. So we have two episodes. We need you back for. Yeah, I I think Caitlin's idea of just a reoccurring. Yeah, just randomly bringing you on whenever you have some free time. Anytime, as long as the listeners don't get tired of me, I'll come back anytime. Absolutely we don't care not. it's our podcast <laughs> exactly <laughs> they can deal with it <laughs> we're the giant nerds but um as far as we specific questions um this is just more because i know you have such rare valuable ones do you ever play with them uh only only a little bit you know and mostly for fun i i'm not a believer i am a skeptic but uh i'm able to relax enough to to get you know some results you know with friends and and stuff uh i've had kind of a, a a formative experience in 2012 at a paranormal convention where I was uh, one of the special guests. So I was kind of obligated to do one of these uh, sort of overnight ghost hunts. And mm-hmm. it was in Gettysburg and I was assigned the Tilly house, kind of a famously haunted boarding house. It's currently uh-huh. in Airbnb, but was a boarding house that was used as an emergency triage after the battle. So a lot of soldiers died on its, on its floors essentially. And, uh, so I held uh, a seance there with with a bunch of folks from the convention, and we had like four hours where the planchette was just zipping around the board and spelling stuff out. Excuse me, spelling things out, and it was just it gave gave me a new perspective on reading historical accounts and what people believe they had witnessed and happened and everything. Yeah. It was so convincing. I mean, I'm skeptical. Uh, and it didn't, you know, it didn't convert me, but I can mm-hmm. see for someone who was prone to belief, really becoming convinced, you know, that, that events of that nature, because man, it just sure, we were all just barely touching. I mean, it was just like the light, but it was just electric, the energy in that room. And, you know, and yeah, we got cohesive conversations that, you know, I know, you know, as a skeptic, we're our brains collaboratively filling in the blanks of the information and questions we were asking and everything, but it's no less, that's no less amazing to me. No. Yeah. That sounds phenomenal. I agree. That's amazing. Well, thank you again. Oh, and for our listeners, how can they find you if they want to follow you? What do they need to do? Well, so, uh, yeah, my most common, you know, social media outlet is that there's a a couple, but Mysterious Planchette on Instagram is really kind of my most longstanding and and popular forum. My website is mysteriousplanchette.com. Go figure. Uh, You can find (laughs) me uh, on Facebook under my author page, which has Brandon Hodge, mysteriousplanchette.com. And uh, I'm on TikTok, too. I don't post on my Mysterious Planchette account on TikTok, but... Uh, listeners might be interested to go through uh, an account I did with my fortune telling collector friend, Brandy Knight. We collaborated on uh, at Occult Archaeology, all one word, Occult Archaeology on TikTok. And we produced a lot of great video content, one minute histories of all these crazy devices in my collection and she's a major fortune telling collector so putting you know putting our hands and showing you know these devices moving and working and giving really intimate up close encounters with with these items and these histories and it got some good traction and you know we had you know 20,000 followers i think just within a, 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 a couple of months 
and then take yeah, it could be an account creator when you've got two kids and two shops and yeah all the it just got to be a much but there's but a lot to a lot be a content great, creator for a, sure. a lot of great fun content and a lot of uh, a lot of unique apparatus on there that i invite people to, to go see because yeah you can see videos of like me working this stuff and you know and it's not too long they're all like a minute long well, yeah, it'd be the early okay. days of TikToks. They only just now started expanding to what the 10 minute videos oh, or something. Minutes. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And I, I think one of these days I might get back to it, but I probably missed the boat on getting any kind of bigger following than that. I don't know. I'm happy to tag team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Y'all, y'all come over and film some stuff. So. Yes, I'm going to say, yeah. by the way, that's that's another thing that I was, I didn't know if we were going to share this afterwards or if I was going to ask it afterwards. But um, I do recall the joking about having um, a, a like, Ouija party, yeah, a Ouija party with with the drinking and the and yeah. not necessarily playing with all of your toys. But um, <laughs> yeah, no. And then hearing you kind of do a drunk history on Ouija history. And, oh, I, I think that'd be hilarious. Drunk, yes, drunk, drunk Ouija history. You'll have to r r run run the, the mic for that, though. Like, <laughs> I, I hate to deprive. We'll, our, we'll our invest in a battery though. mic and we'll make sure right? you're just mic'd up as you wander around the house. Right, right. Oh my gosh, that would be bonus. Like, Patreon and over bonus. Here. <laughs> <laughs> now, this bitch over here. <laughs> I love yeah, it. And everything I, I am there. I will wear my Ouija sweatshirt. So it has to be in what it's called. <laughs> I'm so excited. Well, thank you again yeah. so much. And we, Always we can't wait. Oh, and we can't wait to have you on again. Absolutely. <laughs> Bye. Bye.